Welcome to Don't Feed the Trolls, where when we talk about the past, the water's half glassed. Does that work? Uh, terrible rhyme, but uh, that's right. Looking back can be terrible or great, depending on your perspective. And I just did an hour-long interview with Stereogum.com, a big music website, about MySpace, my band, and how I feel, how it all played out. And I had one or two ways to look at it all. But first... Yes, but first, we have some new patrons that we want to welcome to the show this week. Luke Hagland, Weston Fuselman, and Zane Harnish upgraded his pledge. And you guys that are sitting at a dollar a month, if you upgrade your pledge to $5, you'll be able to see a post which um, gives you a little link, uh, clickable link to Don't Feed the Patrons, a Facebook page that we've kind of opened up. It's a closed group for our $5 and up patrons. And uh, that's where we've been kind of uh, sharing some some funny stuff, um, talking about the show, having a bit of a discussion. There's 29 people in that group right now, and there's 75 people who could be, because uh, we've got that many people who are in the five dollar uh, club. So go to Patreon.com/slash/DontFeedTheTrolls and check the post for the five dollar folks, and you can click through that link and request access to that page. And we will, I will, or Nate, or another moderator if we have one. We'll approve you, and you can get into the discussion group and, and hang out with us. Yeah, you can say all kinds of interesting things, but mostly post some memes. Yep, we're sharing some memes because that's what that's and part of what we do, of course. <laughs> that's how the world communicates in, in 2017. But back in 2002, Matt. Yeah, the world communicated on MySpace. No, 2003 is when MySpace started. Okay. They didn't... But in 2002, the first camera phone, cell phone, was released. Was, so. was that a sidekick? No, it was just a flip phone, like a like a just an off-brand random flip phone. Yeah, I had I had something in 05, I believe that was like a I don't know what they called it. They called it some sort of uh, smartphone, I guess it was. Yeah, smartphones didn't come around for a while. This is still in the flip phone era. If you're a little bit older, you understand what the words T9 mean. But you used to have to text with T9. Texting wasn't even a thing. Yeah, you hit the numbers. And then there was like T9 predictive when they got really yeah. smart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you had to literally use like, you had your nine number pad, and you had to use your numbers that had the three different letters associated to each number. Right. And then you had to like text that way. But texting didn't even really come around until I want to say 2006, 2007. Yeah, as much. Yeah, we still called people. I just find it so crazy, like the the amount of changes our generation has gone through with technology and communication, and just the venues just keep everything so in flux, so chaotic. You know. Yeah. Even just looking back, you know, you were talking about the MySpace days. That was like the destination. I mean, we had MP3.com, which turned to PureVolume.com, and that that did one thing. It wasn't social. Um, but you could listen to music. And then MySpace came along and just revolutionized everything. Everybody who, who was into music, who wanted to put a profile song, wanted to talk, a, you know, get bulletin updates from their band, favorite bands, like that was the one-stop shop. And we were talking oh, about yeah. how that's that's just no longer. <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, uh, you know, that was a long time ago. And so I got hit up by this guy from Stereo Gum. I think he was just a writer. And he was like, hey, I'm doing this article on MySpace and the MySpace generation and and kind of how bands sort of curated a fan base through this website. Um, you want to talk about it. And so we did like an hour interview and he kind of went through the whole history of the band. And Matt and I were texting. And I was just like, this is all so fresh on my mind. And I think what you were kind of talking about is how you can kind of look back and you can kind of say almost like was it all worth it? Right. Why can some bands still kind of do this and some bands can't? And that's kind of like a big part of the, you know, that's the where the questions naturally go when you have an interview that long. Why Why are you still here as, as, as opposed to so many people who have kind of gone and they've quit, they've quit music and, you know, the world's changed and moved on and sort of forgotten them and they're, you know, and they're, they're in their jobs and, and, probably living quite happy, healthy lives, but they're just not doing it. And here you are, just getting off a tour <laughs> in your yeah. mid-30s, playing rock shows for people. Uh, well, why? Not as many people, but yeah, th- I mean, <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's just kind of like he asked me, you know, he, he, you know, he's like, was it all worth it? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's totally worth it. I mean, 
but he even said something like, you don't sound bitter and jaded. And I'm just like, well, if you would have hit me up in 2011, I probably would have been pretty jaded and bitter. Right. But having this last, since 2011 till now, having this time to like look back on what we did and the fact that both of our bands still have some life left in them. Right. You know, I told him, I said, when we signed to MySpace, Tom told us there was like four to six million band profiles. <laughs> so the sheer odds of actually having any success in music is astronomically low. Yeah, one of our um, one of our patrons on the uh, Don't Feed the Patrons group on Facebook, Chad Gilstrap, posted a a, f- uh, a photo of a sticker he might have got at, at Sherwood's recent show, and it was like said, "My like check us out on myspace.com slash Sherwood." And he's <laughs> yeah, like, "I bet yeah, that yeah. link doesn't work." And so I typed it into the comments. I was like, "What do you mean myspace.com slash Sherwood doesn't work?" And <laughs> click through it. And you get Sherwood's profile, just still kicking it, like a million people, apparently, is what it says. <laughs> a million accounts <laughs> follow you guys. Sorry, our friends. It was the, That was the terminology. Yeah, yeah. No, I, no I, I hear you. Yeah, see, and way to plug the Patreon uh, group again, Matt. You're doing so well at promoting this. Trying to bring it all back around, Speaking baby. Speaking of staying where we've been, our careers and our Patreon... It's all just kind of it kind of hits that little that little mountain and it just kind of rides flat for years. So <laughs> we were talking about this um, a little bit. There seems to be two trajectories. Well, outside of just quitting, which is a lot of like our peers, you know, people we toured with, the bands just couldn't sustain themselves, and they <clears throat> they ended up, um, you know, kind of going their separate ways and, and being done with music altogether. And there there's two sort of trajectories I think for people who continue and we were talking about fallout boy because fallout boy was such a big band back in the myspace days and um you know we had friends who knew them and toured with them etc and uh and they were kind of like that 16 to 23 range of fan base and uh as they kind of exploded they 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 continue to reinvent themselves or or redress them their their music to constantly meet the demands of that that same age group and so yeah. a lot of people who are in the fallout boy now had no idea what take this to your grave was about like pop punk they don't care you know um whereas the other trajectory That's so true which That's is so like true. which is like our bands i guess you would say is, is kind of just staying with the same fan base and kind of growing growing with them i guess at least that's the way that i've i've taken it yeah, because there yeah. is this pressure to constantly like redress yourself in in the name of success of like growth and uh, the the upward traje- trajectory and i think that pressure has caused a lot of bands to quit because as the music industry is like you know plummeting as far as sales go and there's not a lot of money to go around you know bands look at this you know they're on tour i'm we've both done this you're, you're on tour and you're touring a record and you you go wow there's not as many people here yeah you know yeah. i guess we've kind of hit the apex now let's start looking for something else to do which is just because we haven't achieved that original yeah. goal of c- yeah. super rock stardom uh we think it's just over right we think it's over whereas there, it was over <laughs> the other right the other trajectory is is saying well let's change the goal if the goal is just simplified to yeah we didn't do that but we still want to make music can we still make music can we still there is a demand can we still make music and do this thing and uh, continue on doing it you know a record every couple years and a tour here or there and that i think is a rarer thing i think it's just more oh it's definitely rare it's even rare in my band i mean even now like dan and i debate this right you know like he made a comment and uh right before the tour was over because every time you get back in the van and you get on tour and you play some songs you 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 kind of reintroduce that fire in your belly that you once had yeah you remember why you did it to begin with yeah because it was fun yeah yeah and you kind of get these like oh man and then you know, but Dan said something to me, <clears throat> and just because I didn't want to fight him in the van, I'll say it here on this podcast, because why not? Because <laughs> he can't argue. Yeah, he can't argue back. He goes, you're still not content, are you? Yeah. And I go, what are you talking about? He's like, you're just not content in your life. I'm like, actually, I'm more happy with my personal life than I've ever been. Right. You know? And I, this was because I said something like, maybe the thing to do nowadays is to just have a different band name 
like take all the same guys but have a new band name because lots of bands do this they start right. a new band they have the same dudes they just they just take everything they learned from their previous band yeah. and start over and i said why don't you know sherwood could do something like that it might actually be better for us because i think we're better at what we do now well, you saw you just see that happen like the, the format and then it's like um, yeah and then it's like fun right I mean, they added obviously like Jack Antonoff and great songwriters, and and went with a hip hop producer and did a whole sure, different, sure. different thing. But, but, but like it's, something new is also right. It's what people want. They want like some new cool band, and that is and one no thing. That's sort of like what Fall Out Boy did. I mean, they kept the same name, but like they don't sound like the Fall Out Boy of old, really at all. And yeah. so that that's that's one way to do it, right? But the other way, it, which I find a lot less pressure, is to have your core 1,000, 2,000 people who are going to support every record and to say, hey, I want to do a record. Do you guys want to pay for it? And then just do it. That's that's easier for me. I think for me, though, I was just like, there's two ways we could go about this because we were kind of kicking around this idea. And just because I said, why don't we, you know, maybe we could start, maybe some of these new songs wouldn't sound like Sherwood and you could just put them as a new band. And then Dan looked at me like I was preposterous for saying this. Like I'm like I want to like get in the van and like slug it out again. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, just because I suggest maybe a smarter way of going about something doesn't mean I'm not this desperate band guy that just wants to be a rock star again. Right. Well, and if he knew anything about uh, the Enneagram Four, he would just know that discontent is something that you're very comfortable with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny because that's yeah. what I was thinking on the drive home. Because of course everyone flew home from the tour, and I had to drive home by myself. But uh, whatever. Yeah, that happens guys. to guys like <clears throat> me and you. <laughs> yeah, saddled and with I, the responsibility while everyone flies home. I know. I told them. I said, Dan, I, that's that's how I've always been my whole life. I've I've always been sort of discontent, but right. I've got, but I've got all the tools in my brain now to say that there's nothing that's going to fix that it's right. more just a perspective change but yeah. like i don't i'm like i don't want to give up my wife and kids for nine day, nine months on the road don't get me wrong no 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 like, yeah and that's the thing is like we look at bands on warp tour now you know they announce we're doing warp tour and both me and you cringe because we've done it and it's like yeah, we never yeah. want to do it again you know i mean yeah. maybe in like some weird fantasy scenario it would be fun to do it, like take my family on a bus or something. But it's just not in the cards, and it's not something I'm hoping for. You know, like well, been yeah. down that road. Would like to just be able to make music and tour occasionally, and and yeah, do it for fun again, as opposed to this like popularity contest. Totally, and I just think sometimes it's smarter. I was like, I, I was like, Dan, I would rather like, like you know, rookie of the year. I went, we we took Ryan out, and Ryan, um, you know, they were a big band in 2006, and he was telling me that a lot of the guys quit his band and started a new band in L.A. called Small Pools, and now they're getting big. Right. And they're they're like a kind of a cool big band. I just said, Dan, it would be fun if like we worked on music twenty percent of the year, but then when we released it, you know, a lot more people cared about it and then maybe we could play like a six hundred cap room instead of, you know, a hundred cap room. You that just would want be that little bit bigger. <laughs> well no, I mean it just <laughs> I, I, I think the music we're putting out now seems to speak more to like my heart than some of the older stuff we've done that right. like was such a, a, a nostalgic MySpace kind of thing. Right. And that's what I was talking to the guy today. I was like looking back on it, the only thing I can say is I wish we would have thought about the kind of songs we were writing, the life of the songs that we were writing, and instead of spending so much time spamming people on myspace we would have written right just that much better of song <laughs> well you're not really thinking about anything when you're young like you kind of live in that unequilibriated state you're not set in your ways yeah. yet and you're kind of you're kind of on the on the border of chaos and order as it were and you're looking into chaos and trying to trying to find some inspiration and you're making these songs out of it and you don't even understand where they come from and yeah, you're not yeah. necessarily considering the order and the structure of things and the plan of where you want to be. You're just kind of reacting to the chaos that you're living on the edge of. And, totally. and then you get older. And that's what we can talk about is like, why do, why do people quit? And I think part of the reason is you, the older you get, the more set in your ways you are, right? Because you, you've kind of discovered your identity. And so you sit more if you're looking at uh, life or reality as like a yin-yang, kind of the Taoist symbol of, of the the dark being chaos and the white being order. Um, sure. You, you, you move away from the edge and you move away from the edge 
of of the darkness of the chaos and you start to formulate some order and you you start to have some equity and you start to um, deepen your relationships and get married and have kids and create structure and so that's all happening on the order side and when you glance back over your shoulder at the chaos of when you were 1920 you go thank god i'm not there but yeah. at the same time yeah. that's where the creativity came from when you were just a baffled fool you know, putting songs together and you had no idea about structure. You had no idea yeah, about melody. I mean, it just came out of the abyss and you were blessed by it. So now suddenly it's it's work. It's like, ugh, I got to go over there and try to figure well, something that's out. That's what I told him in the interview. I said, nowadays bands, like the only way they can really make a name for themselves is by having a song catch on somewhere. Right. They can't do what we did, which is kind of like, you know, I and I use yellow card as a metaphor, like, Yellow Card puts out some shitty pop punk record. They get on a couple tours, and then and then you get plugged into the major label system. You get you get better help. You get a better producer. You get a lot of money, and you've built up all this experience and this understanding. And then all of a sudden, you can write a good record. Yeah, that's one that's one way of doing it. But that- well, that's how every band that's how every band thought about it back then. That was right. the formula that you could do. You just got to get your foot into the indie label world, in the scene, and you got to keep keep Plug going but the problem is is you think your songs are better than they actually are yeah that's always. true well that, you know but there's I mean? some part yeah. of me that is just still very surprised that a 19 year old wrote some of the songs off of the classic crimes albatross like i'm just sometimes i listen back and i'm like i had no idea what i was talking about i was clearly on the on the border of chaos and order looking off into the abyss and pulling things out that i didn't even understand yeah and, yeah, yeah and and like so and, and part of me is like i I sort of get nostalgic for that when when totally. when it wasn't so structured the process of writing and rewriting a song when it just like dropped out of the air and I think part of the reason why I'm you know I'm still and and you could probably attest to this too in your own life still kind of pushing against the the equilibrium of normal life pushing against the ordered life the regular yeah, people ask you what you do you kind of cringe a little well bit. i'm just i'm kind of always pushing against that like i take my family on tour you know i'm living in canada mm-hmm. for the year i'm constantly trying to reintroduce chaos i think into my life so that i can again experience that creativity that comes from it you know because if i just yeah. get stuck in one place i don't think i can make anything good but and I think why really, would dan coke tell you that that's totally okay for you but it's not okay for me that's the difference it's just like why well you, because you we, sort of you sort of have like been doing it for so long that it's like acceptable for you whereas me no because i i i'll, I'll put it this way i have a philosophy about it so and it's a philosophy that I preach to Dan and I've articulated. He's made me articulate it, I guess. And you have a feeling about it, which is the same. And we thing. say all this, and listeners, we say all this because Dan Koch spent like a week with Matt before the tour. So we both just hung out with this guy for like <laughs> six to seven days. Yeah, no, I love arguing. I love arguing with Dan, and I love it's kind yeah, of like he's got his own podcast and he's been on the show. So people, I'm just trying to fill in our listeners like yeah. why we're talking about Dan. Yeah, no, it's like, fine. Who's this guy? No, like, they know. They about? know. Actually, one of the en- entrance um, interviews, we have three questions you answer before getting into our patron group on uh, Facebook. And one of them was, what was your favorite uh, podcast guest? And a few people put Dan Koch. So I think people know Dan uh, already and are aware of um, his logical, oh, yeah. he's reasonable mind. Um, but he's, he's always kind of he's always got kind of asking these questions and, and making my, me articulate my philosophy for life because I do things very different from him. I'm not um, I'm, I'm, I'm a I have an aversion to security because I feel like then I will not be able to uh, truly create at the level that I could when I was young, when I was totally insecure. And so I'm trying to manufacture the insecurity, like the financial insecurity, et cetera, so that I can get on the edge there again and look off into the abyss and see if something new will happen, yeah, something new will yeah. form. Oh, I totally agree. I feel like that's when that's when we were – like I was telling the guy in the article, he was like, when did things really start going taking off for you? And I said, it was when half of us had graduated from college and the rest of us hadn't graduated from college, and there was this debate. Like, right. hey, half the band might go get a job and leave. Uh, so either, you know, the guys that are still in school got to drop out and we got to do this thing. And then the rest of the guys who were had graduated were like, well, shit, if these guys drop out, that's a big commitment to the band. So we've got to put in more time, right. and more energy and commitment to this thing. So the fact that half the band dropped out for Joe and I right. to to hit the road was like, 
Yeah. Wow, they're in this. They're in. So there was that this. was the same mentality in my band. Everybody was in school. We were all in school when we were we met up, and yeah. uh, once we started playing songs together and writing together and jamming together, and we spent you know we jam every day or whatever and 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 work on these songs that we thought were just amazing that that clearly weren't, but in our <laughs> naivety it it was, and we were just mind blowing. We we all dropped out of school. We all got like night jobs and restaurant jobs and practiced every single day and because everybody had kind of put their futures on hold for this thing sure sure uh, there was a lot more pressure to to do and to to pull your weight and yeah to, you yeah know, i know. You know part of me wishes i would have just been like no let's just let's just stand slow and get better as a band you can no keep you can't you can't you can't change the past it's all you know no but like i mean said, it's but all, i mean those purpose i told them i said you know then when we got I mean, I, you if never you wouldn't tell. have moved, then you might never have moved. You might never have taken the risk. Well, sure, you know, it's like sure, you got to sure. do it when you're young. Sure, but my point is, is like the only thing I can say confidently that the bands with better songs had so many more great things happen to them because they put the time in to write the better songs, or Perhaps. they were just better. Or they were just better songwriters. There's a, well, I mean, I was listening to a Malcolm Gladwell re- revisionist history podcast uh, episode, and it was about um, it was about um, artistic genius and how there's two different types, or at least they've named two different types. One is the um, the prodigy, uh, which is like Picasso. Like at 15, he could like paint like as good as as any as any painter in the Renaissance period, and then he went like full on you know, and did Picasso, which was way different, but he had a concept and he executed it and it happened at a, at a young age. Um, and then there is, uh, well, I don't know, it was another painter that, that basically was constantly revising everything and actually only did his greatest work when he was in later in life. And he would do 15 versions of one painting or whatever. And he was comparing also Bob Dylan with Leonard Cohen. So Leonard Cohen would work like years and years and years on one song. And, uh, you know, there's a famous uh, there's a famous um, conversation between Bob Dylan and, and Leonard Cohen in France or something. They were there and they they met huh. for coffee and uh, Dylan asks Leonard Cohen, "I love that song Hallelujah. How long did it take you to write it?" And Leonard Cohen says something like two years, when in reality it had been in the works for like probably closer to five. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and then Leonard Cohen asks Bob Dylan how long it take him to write this one song that he really liked and bob dylan said i don't know five minutes and i think that's speaks to the difference in you know in 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 certain way artistic ways of thinking and creating like sometimes there is a certain way of being that that creates instantaneously something profound and beautiful and yeah and other types of people are more like revise revise over years and years until it becomes the perfect version. He was arguing that even Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah isn't the famous Hallelujah. It was covered by one of the dudes in uh, Velvet Underground, and then that got on some sort of mixtape, and this kid was cleaning this lady's apartment. She had the mixtape. He put it on. He heard the song, decided to cover it. He happened to be a guy named Jeff Buckley, and then (laughs) Jeff Buckley's version became like the super famous one, but not when it came out only after jeff buckley died and so he was talking about this song hallelujah being like one of the most famous songs and it was its perfection it was revised and revised and revised until it finally became perfect over the years and so there's like two different ways of of approaching it i heard there was a secret chord that david played and it pleased the lord but you don't really care for music do like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah, 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 Faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. She 
tied you to a kitchen chair. She broke your throat and she cut your hair. And from your lips, she drew the heart. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Like, you, you know, you can... I heard Bruce Springsteen writes like that. He He hashes over lyrics over and over and over again and you have to plow through it it's like um, right you know it's like gold mining you know you you have this big creek and there's somewhere there's a gold nugget in there and yeah. you just got to keep you just yeah, got to keep it's not my way of thinking like i, yeah. I i'm always no, I trying you. to i'm always trying to you're I'm a lightning in a bottle the, kind of guy yeah i want the magic and and i think you the magic comes from chaos all that's new and beautiful comes from some level of insecurity of unequilibrium in your life and that's why i think i have this natural aversion You're harry potter man to stability i don't know about harry potter but you got all this you got all this just chaos going on in your life and you just want to tap into that chaos oh well no i if i don't have enough chaos i will create it i'll i'll say that <laughs> no, I, mean, I think I know, that has yeah. to do something with my kind of need or love for the creation of of music and art and like it all. It also comes with it all this this anxiety. I'm working on a record right now, and I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Like, it's not a cognitive function for me. It's not in my. Uh, it's not in my neocortex. I mean, it is obviously, but like, for me, it's all this like feeling instinct thing, and I need the magic to happen for it to work. And so I'm there's insecurity. It's like, well, what if the magic doesn't happen? And so I think subconsciously I go try to mm-hmm. sabotage my life so that there's enough uh, imbalance that I can be close to the magic or close to the chaos, uh, get out of the order side. And so I think that's why I'm constantly trying to screw things up. Well, I mean, it makes <laughs> sense because, I mean, I, you know, being in a band with Dan, you know, the songwriting was a lot more like logical in the head and there would be a lot of arguments and he'd be like, no, this is just how it needs to go. Right. And sometimes we would lose that. Well, that's our debate too. Like I always, you know, you would lose that thing. That, I always that, tell that, him, that. I always tell him sing, but keep going is my favorite record of Sherwood. And it's not because it's technically amazing. It's not because it's like the most foundational technical music. It's because there's some sort of like spark or magic there that is young and not knowing that is confronting chaos with, with a level of joy for the process uh and it's hard it's it's uncritical and i think that naive that naivety or naivete uh is something i crave from my old music too like i'm, no, I'm always I mean, trying that, to get there I, th- I agree with you i think that bands sort of stumble on this like little universe they actually create this little universe yeah and good, exactly and then, the, and then the good ones will kind of like realize like okay we've made this little universe and how can we how can we uh, expand upon this little universe and make it better? Right. And, I mean, uh, that's that's kind of like the national, right? They they have this uncompromising style that I love so much. I love their new record. I've listened to it a bunch. But like yeah. they've just been doing this style of music that nobody else does currently, really. That everybody, no. a lot of people try to rip off. But they've just been doing it for so long, kind of like Radiohead. This uncompromising style. Yeah, I think Radiohead's a different band. I think Radiohead is more is different. I think the National is you were right on the money with that because really? I think the National, but they're like we put out national records and yeah. we have our own thing and that's what we do. Yep. We're not going to put out a record that's like it's okay, got its computer. own like yeah, it's got this own like woolly muted production style, really slow melodic, fast drums. Uh, tons of like weird french horn range instruments like i just love the way their records sound and it's like i said it's uncompromising it's it's not that they've they you know every record's different but it's still so very we should have done that we should have done that we <laughs> i mean we can't them. when you start with like pop rock music or whatever it is i mean you can't really go but we should have gotten that far we if we really would have applied the same ideas yeah but the thing about that the, the thing about the nationals yeah. they started their band in their 30s or whatever you know and they're in their yeah, 40s know, now so now it's different it's like we started our band when i was 19 and i have a lot of people like you know i have you know i have discerning music peers friends who would probably hear my music from back in the day or even now and kind of laugh and turn their nose it's up funny i was listening to you might hate me for this but we were on the tour and uh i had a our RV broke down, and the the guy at the auto shop gave me this dog catcher. 
he had a dog catcher and a four-seater. Oh, a dog catcher truck? Truck, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) So I'm driving this dog. So we had to load all our gear into the dog catcher and drive it to the show and then drive it back. And um, and someone had the radio station stuck on something, and it was stuck on this Papa Roach-esque type of radio station. But this Papa Roach song came on, and at the end he starts screaming, and it sounded just like you. I know, a lot of people have said that. And I was like, I was like... People tell me weird stuff. People tell me like Panic at the Disco. No, this was like, this is like a guy who, I I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say. Three Days Grace, some other people tell me. No, no. I mean, it was just certain parts when he was yelling and I was like, I could see Matt McDonald writing. Hollering. A song (laughs) for Papa Roach and it being a big song. See, I don't really like it. Like, that's the thing is like, I did like that music when I was like 17, 18, you know? I don't like it now. I don't think it's it's it comes so naturally. No, not like a bad one, like a good one. Like right, good, right. I like, like cl- I like classic bluesy rock. Like I like the Black Keys, and I would shout something more like that. It might sound maybe like what I'm saying is like you or something. You but. have the same goes for like like Sherwood can write some better songs in the scene than a lot of those scene bands could. Right. You know what I mean? But it's still kind of in that umbrella of scene stir that you're kind of like, I don't want to be the cool band on Warp Tour. I want to be the cool band on Lollapalooza. <laughs> and, and you know, you start thinking about that stuff some, sometimes. And I'm just saying, like, you could write a hell of a Papa Roach song, but you probably don't want to. No, and no. you could probably even... You um, have to follow But classic know, crime heart. fans want you to. They want you to write... Yeah. Well, the, the ones Arena that are, rock, the rock, ones, rock record. The ones that are with us now don't. I mean, they they they've grown like like I said uh, of the two. But it still happens with Sherwood. Like everyone goes, oh man, this new song sounds like their old stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, some people. It's nostalgia though. But like, if Classic Crime came out of the record that sounded like Albatross two, there would be a certain amount of people that would like it. But the majority of people who are with us and who support us now, they're with us because they understand that every new record is something new and different and. We've never done the same thing twice, really. So they're not with us because I'm yeah, that I, good I, I, old I, I, stuff. I, I totally know? understand because that's where I'm at. I like I like playing the new songs more than I like playing the old songs. Yeah. You know, like and, and we we made a joke about this. I think the least liked song on Sherwood's catalog is the best in me. Yeah. This song that it starts out with like really over the top two thousand seven synth. Yeah. And then the lyrics are if only you could hear the beat beat. Beat of, of my, my beating, beating heart. <laughs> yeah, it's I like, know that one. So we we made all these jokes on the tour, like, "Hey, you know, aren't you that band that wrote that song Best in Me?" And then Joe would just start laughing <laughs> hysterically. But we would, it was kind of like we would yeah. use it as this joke as the the lowest point of our band's career. Yeah, Best in Me. Yeah, and, I mean, um, I, we we have songs like that too. We still There's... played the stupid song. <laughs> And sure, because people, I mean, and people liked it and people, I back off the mic during those parts and they have just let the crowd sing, just let them sing it. And it's still fun. Like that's me. Like I never, I never liked the fight. It took me years to write that song, not years to write it, but it was, I had to rewrite it three or four times and I thought it sounded too much like my chemical romance. And I didn't like that style of like desperate whining, (laughs) but that was like the style that the music and I didn't write the music, Justin and Skip came together with those riffs and uh, and I was like, oh, I don't want to do this heavy like jock rock thing. Like I want to do something a little more articulate. But that's what the song was, and it was delivered to me, and I had to write to it. So I I wrote a bunch. I wrote it a bunch of different times. And by the time I was done okay. with it, because because I love kind of the inspiration, the lightning in a bottle, and I don't love the revisionist type thing. I just it. I didn't like the song. And so you know, and then of course it becomes a single. Then of course they take it to like active rock radio. And then it like na- labels our band as this thing that I never wanted, and then I have and then I have to play it for years. Why wouldn't you start a new band now then? Why would would you be in the camp of starting a new like 
taking all you've learned from the classic crime and starting a new project that sounds more like a rock band, but it's mostly like all you've learned. Because that's kind of what I was suggesting to Dan. I was like, uh, I think sometimes your old name hinders your future growth. So yeah, I mean, it's it's two things, and I think that's where he called me out and said you're you're unhappy or you're you're not satisfied. And I'm like, well, no, I just think it would make sense to give songs the most potential to be listened to than yeah, least potential because I, they're connected to a, a band name that's backwards it doesn't have it doesn't it's really hard for an old band yeah to to, to break out anymore yeah i, don't I know waffle, why that is i waffle on that i mean yes there is like certain people just know the name and they're like i'm not going to review that that's yes i'm not even going to listen i'm not even going to listen to you know it. there's so many people in like mainstream just like what is that that tooth and nail christian rock band i don't know how to touch that yeah, what's that really MySpace? That it. MySpace, yeah, or that MySpace summer, band, summer yeah, band, not cool anymore. Yeah, not um, cool. So yeah, there is that 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 is withholding, but at the same time, it is um, a huge resource. Like if if we want to do a record and we we put a Kickstarter together and try to raise thirty grand and people pre-order it enough to raise a hundred thousand. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. It's not I broke. Think that- don't try to fix it like people really really want the classic crime but so, what i'm saying is that you could you could take all those people with you to the next stage yeah to the masses but that but but for what purpose or what motive i mean i I'm, i don't feel i don't I, feel like I, i'm I, not able to make music within the current realm but so. what i'm saying is you can leave the best in me behind <laughs> you can leave some of those you songs you can you. never leave it behind oh you have to no. leave it behind. <laughs> no but it's here's like, what i'm saying about the fight a, here's what i'm saying Years later, we we didn't play this song. We became like a four-piece in 2011. Uh, Justin left the band. And so some of those songs that he played and he wrote, I was just like, I'm not going to learn that on guitar. I don't want to play drop D, you know, this kind of crazy stuff. Yeah, and it's, yeah. It looks dumb if we're a four-piece and, and, and we're doing this type of music that needs a lot more movement on stage because, you know, I was the... I was the front man singer, and so I would run around, dance around, swing the mic, and go crazy and headbang and stuff. And as a four-piece, that wasn't so. So I was like, okay, let's get rid of this kind of meathead stuff. And then a few years go by, and we're doing that as a four-piece. And I'm like, you know what? Let's do the fight. That's going to be fun. Because we went back and did this Albatross 10-year tour in 2016. And so we put basically the other guitar tracks, Justin's guitar tracks, on on tracks. And Robbie played the uh the leads and so we had we had rhythm guitar and i would just grab the mic and go out and, and pretend like i was 21 years old again you know and then you would wake up in the morning with with a huge bang over yeah but <laughs> bang over yeah a bang how over how come i've never heard that yeah it's a, when you're well because you don't headbang enough man I, it's a regular I, occurrence for I a rock band. long hair we, actually we used to move <laughs> we used to move around pretty 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 hefty in no i remember days. you guys were more spinning you guys it was a spin over <laughs> We had a spin over. <laughs> <laughs> it's like where your ankle hurts from spinning yeah. on it too much. No, but like, like uh, yeah, yeah. It but like, just, it was just moved. You just got to move. You, you got to move. You got to move. Well, and then when you're young too, you're like the music really does move you. It animates you. You know, you're super excited about all this loud noise. Um, but yeah, so we did the fight, and I'm you know 34, 33, 34 at the time, and I'm loving it. So there is something about nostalgia, like going back and playing that old stuff. And like you said, you step off the mic and the crowd screams it. How fun is that? Even if you don't like the song, that's always yeah. fun, you know? I mean, so like you're going to not well, do that? I think the hard part, if I'm being really honest, it was the smaller shows. Sure, um, when they're not screaming. <laughs> yeah, when you're just like, you're playing the best in me and there's like 25 people there that like really care. And you're like, oh, this is really hard to get through. Like really because the song is just, it's mutated, it's taken on its form. It's done what it needs to do for the band. You know what I mean? Part right. of me is just like, you know, part of me just wishes we could just do like something like you guys do. Just play like two shows a year. Yeah. Everyone who's a Sherwood fan could come and it's like, you could play to like a thousand people and it would right. be so much more fun. Right. Than playing for. I don't like know. I think a thousand, it starts 75 people. I mean, yeah, 75 sucks, but. It doesn't suck. It's just. It all, it just, it's just harder. If 200 cut cap club and you have 150 in it, that's a fun show for me. I don't care. Like, that's not a, it's not like our biggest show. Oh, or no, anything. I love it. That was, you know, a band like Sherwood, like, unless you're on the coasts, right? Like, 
you know, you play in Oklahoma City, you're not going to get 175 people packed into a 200 cap room. Right. It's just not going to happen. Right. Um, at least not, not after their MySpace cl- accounts are deleted. Not after they lose those MySpace accounts. <laughs> <laughs> but the newer songs, they feel more age appropriate. They feel more sure. like speaking from a place of where I'm at in my life. And that's why I suggested, like, why don't we just maybe try a new band name? Doesn't mean we can't still dabble in the Sherpa thing, but I mean, who knows? But I get blasted like I'm like trying to like restart the band and like be a rock star. I'm like I have seriously I have no interest in like that's not you, you that's not what your motive is. You just yeah okay I get it. I, feel I have no interest in signing booze. But also you're okay. a bit of a dreamer because because you say that but the, you, t- you start taking steps towards it and you realize what this is not fucking worth it. <laughs> you gotta do the whole. We got to take promo shots and change the name and get the new logo and the new website. Not really. <laughs> I mean, if you there's ways to do it now where literally you just you it's it's almost about obscurity, like weird photos, weird band name. You release one song on Spotify and that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's what I was telling the guy today. I was like, look, bands today, they I think they only get discovered based on their music. There is no way to fake it till you make it, really. Yeah, no, it's not as easy to do that. I don't know how you do it. You go out and you fake it till you make it. Who's taking you on tour? And right, if you're not drawing anybody, well, you got to have a lot of Instagram followers or YouTube follow, you know, but before they take you on tour, because then they they're like, oh, at least he has a social media presence and he can, you know, promote this tour. I guess, yeah, or yeah. whatever. I guess there is that like fake it till you make it on social media. And then how you gonna how you gonna get that? I mean, that's a whole different. It's like you have to spend more time curating your Instagram account and trying to get followers than, than working on the oh. music. <laughs> right? Versus my buddy who um, – so my buddy Ant West, he's in the band Oh Wonder. Um, I try to get him on the show a couple times, but he's pretty busy these days. He was in one of the bands that opened up on the, U- on the Sherwood UK tours. They were called like Tonight is Goodbye. Kind of like post-punk rock oh, and roll. Yeah. But then he kept at it, started a new band name, met a girl. They started a project called Oh Wonder, released one song a month on SoundCloud. Wow. Thing blew up. Now they're playing for like three or four thousand people a night in the US. And they release that stuff for free on SoundCloud. Well they got they, they got finally got put out a put like a full length record out. Right. The traditional but they built way. their fan base. Free streaming good songs. Free free streaming good songs. And they just wow. and they threw it out there and then like he, he was retweeting some of these videos and I'm just like and that's what I told the guy at Stereo Gum. I was like, I went out to coffee with him like a year ago and I was just like, dude, I'm so proud of you. And he looked at me like, What? I'm like, I'm just proud of you. Like you did it the right way. You did it on your own terms and you did what we all wanted to do. Right. You did it, man. Congrats. You did it, but it's never done. Next record. <laughs> Me, but I like that. I like that. I just think that give it, give it, just just clear the shit off the road and let it see how far it, it'll roll. That's what I say. <laughs> What's wrong with that, yeah, right? Well, there you go. I mean, plenty I, of I songwriters know. in your own hometown where you could pull that off. By the way, yeah, I know. But I just, <laughs> I just think the do magic, a bunch of co-writes, the, Nate. The magic, though. When you get back on stage with those three or four dudes that you've been playing music with for 10 years. Right. The dynamic. And you start playing again, and people are like, they come up to you after the show, and they go, damn, you guys are great still. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, no. We just have been playing together, Yeah, just the three or four of us, for so long. I know. Every tour, before it starts, (laughs) I'm always worried. I'm like, oh, my gosh, can I play guitar? I can't remember all my parts. And is Skip going to be able to play? And Robbie, he forgets everything. And... Is Alan gonna get <laughs> mad at everybody because they didn't practice and and then we like getting together in a room and it's like terrible, terrible, terrible practicing and then it's like crap. Now we have to play a show and we get back on the stage and it's like, oh yeah, we know how to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You introduce some adrenaline to it. It always we gets do a this. Bit we do this a lot. Like this is totally like riding a bike. It takes like six or seven shows to get to get back into tour shape. Yeah. And then you're and done. And <laughs> the tours are always yeah. over by that. Yeah. Like the last show we played, I remember the, like the last four songs. Like, dang, we're starting to really play well together. Tour's over.
talking to this guy at Stereogram today and him asking all these questions, I was just realizing that, like, there are no rules anymore. There are absolutely no rules. Right. You just put out a name and a song, and anything can happen. It wasn't even, yeah, it, was, it used to be about Facebook followers or friends and, uh, and curating a, a good, like, one-stop destination on social media. And yeah. the algorithms have come in to... Um, and in in Instagram and Facebook and even Twitter now. And so it's like, you just don't have access to your fans. And so now it's almost like the Spotify playlist curators can like select your song, put it on a playlist and you have no control over that. And, and Dan hates social media. He (laughs) likes to write the songs, but he, he hates the like curation of a person on social media. Right. Absolutely hates it. And I would say this whole idea I'm presenting totally goes to like a, for what you want, which right. is just let the song do the talking. But you know, I did you guys have did you guys have fun on tour? Like even though the shows weren't you know West. Well, Coast we blew a transmission on the freaking RV, which sucked. A tranny on the holy cow. Yeah, because there's these. Uh, I love that we're just talking about this on the podcast. Oh, that's good. There's these lift things on the front. There was like this lifting. It pinched the it when we when I lifted the RV. It pinched the transmission lines, and I didn't know. Oh no! So it wasn't actually a bad transmission. It just wasn't allowing any of the coolant and the, and the transmission fluid to get to the transmission. This is where DIY goes wrong, everybody. Yeah, but you know, my guys in my band were very generous, and the band paid for like half of it. So oh, that's good. Very nice dude. Did you end up making any money on the tour then? Uh, I made like fifteen hundred bucks after everything was said and done. Not bad. Yeah. Made a lot of money, and, and, and but but the, the tran- tranny was like four grand. So Holy cow! Are you kidding me? Because they put it in, in in a day, and they put a brand new one in. Oh they didn't put a re- they gosh. didn't put a rebuild. The guy was like, "Look, I can get a brand new one right now from Ford, or you can wait four days and get a rebuild." Okay. And I was like, "I don't have four days, bro. The tour is over." So you like, got a well. brand new tranny in there. So you I got better. a brand new tranny. That's not bad. I mean, that's that's good. Good but they put it in movie. in a day. Like yeah, that's crazy. We we took the dog catcher to the show and then brought the dog catcher back, and then got a brand new transmission. And nice. which is usually in those things, the the one thing like the engine will go three hundred thousand miles, no right. problem. The transmission, on the other hand, will right. only go about a hundred. You got to rebuild it like two two hundred. So now I just have to hold on to that damn thing for another ten years to make it worth my while. But yeah, right. I mean, it'll he'll be able to resell it too. But there was there was enough good shows to be like, oh, overall this is fun. It's so weird, man. It's so hard for me as an Enneagram four <laughs> kind of dude. <laughs> I have these feelings of like super bittersweet. <laughs> it's like it reminds me of like all those like depressing times on tour in the middle of the night at right twenty five years old, walking around going, What am I doing with my life? You kind of you know, you kind of revisit those feelings. It's like you yeah. go back to this like Guy drinking a little too much at, at, at you know after the show, and then people start passing out cigarettes, and you're like, I'm 36 years old. I do not need to be drinking a little too much, smoking cigarettes <laughs> out on the, like the curb in downtown Chicago where I can enjoy get just- it. Yeah, well, that <laughs> uh, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Is, that 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 feels a little depressing for my personality. Okay, to be honest. It, it's yeah, hard for I, me not to go. I you know I have I mean? um. It's so weird, like, I've been there too, but mostly my happiness with the tour has really nothing to do with turnout, it has nothing to do with um, the psychology of, like, the band, or it has everything to do with my voice, and if my voice stands up, because the most depressing times I've had on the road is when I lost my voice, and I couldn't perform, and it's just the worst, like, for my personality, it is the worst to be incompetent, or perceived incompetent, huh. because I can't huh. sing. And so if I can, if my voice is standing up, like literally you could set the world on fire and I'd be like, this is a great tour. I can sing. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a really healthy uh, perspective. I've always had pretty good luck. Until in I department. can't sing. And then I, it's very unhealthy. See, to me, <laughs> how many people still care about this stuff? Because I check the numbers too, but it's not. Fours you know. will tend to go, none of this matters. Right. All this is shit. It doesn't, no, this is all stupid. Right. But it's only worth it if, 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 if like 150 people really give a crap about it, then I give a crap about it. Right, right, right. So I think, you know, some of the smaller shows was a little hard. It was like, gosh, I did 16 songs. I'm playing 16 songs. But then some people were like, man, I drove seven hours to be here. Right. 
and they sang every freaking word. Yeah. And they loved it to death. I have a really hard time putting myself in their shoes, and I need to do a better job at that. Yeah. Because... But isn't just, it weird? Isn't know. it weird how you analyze it all differently though now with age? Like as as a younger musician, you know, in your twenties, you probably wouldn't have thought about these types of things. You just thought the surface is what all there is. So therefore, like if we don't have, you know, it's not. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the fact that our band's not big, or or the fact that um, you know people aren't as into us as I want them to be, or whatever. And now you're coming at it going look at this person that came all this way and that matters too. And maybe it's my perspective that needs, I need to work on it. Like that's a more of a, a, a mature way of looking at it. And maybe you wouldn't have the opportunity if you weren't out there on the road in your thirties doing, doing it, you know, to have that new perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, it's good in that regard because it helps kind of move your sort of internal character forward. You know, the, the you of the you, Oh, and to, like t- to tie some of those loose ends up from your twenties too, like that. I mean, for me, just the the approach I had then versus now, when I'm out there, I really can enjoy it more. You can enjoy it more. You can. You definitely can. I think the thing is, is like, and when Sherwood was really getting off, I was sort of this caricature of myself. I'm like this. I'm like not me. I'm like this band guy, and you know, you carry a sharpie around the shows, and you're like ready to sign things, and then you kind of like slip out the back, and you. You never really feel comfortable in your own skin because you're like, right? Am I just here to take photos with people, or like, am I actually like known and listened sure. to? And I think for me, the best fan moments, the best fan interaction, had nothing to do with a camera or a pen or signing an autograph or hey, you're so great. It was just a shared moment where they're a little more well known and I'm a little more well known. Right. None of this like rock star bullshit right because right. i think the rock star bullshit really erodes at you as a human and that's why you have it's s- so insincere and in surface yeah yeah i can't stand i can't stand being seen as something more than just a person you know because it's uh, just not, it's, it's yeah. almost subhuman at that point it's like i'm not i'm not a full i'm not fully here like by by their exaltation you are deemed inhuman or something like that that's how it feels anyways but there's some part of you that likes it it's it's hard to explain. Like, there's something that's like, you know, you're talking to your buddy. All <laughs> yeah. of a sudden, you know, someone walks up to you like, you know, a couple of my friends come to the shows. And then all of a sudden some guy, well, hey, can you sign this for me? And you sign it and then you go back to your conversation with your friend. And then they look at you like, dude, is that weird? Yeah. And you're like, ah. Yeah, it's normal. But yeah, it's well, normal. But yeah, it is weird. The way, right? I, the way I put it to Christy is like, I don't want people to ever treat me differently or say nice things to my face. But I really want them to say nice things behind my back. <laughs> That's funny. Like I want them to love me. I just don't want them to say it. <laughs> yeah. Because no, when they you. say yeah. it, it makes me feel really awkward. <laughs> Which that was kind of like, I don't know, maybe it's a more immature. No, That's how it was back no, in the day. I mean, it's like, well, that, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know what to do when you say those things. <laughs> well, that's how everyone is. you know. That's why we all have our little social media profiles. And we're always crafting clever stuff we want people to like to click like yeah we want people to like us and they want the like the caricature of ourselves. and i think that and now with social media maybe like everyone's like a lead singer of their own little band you know of their own little yeah personal band and they're all trying to kind of like create this little caricature of themselves and right and and be popular and be liked and then over in the corner (sighs) is this real person so you and i have kind of had like and then maybe that's why social media is so damn depressing because you and I have actually been depressed as kind of the real life version of that. Yeah, a real yeah. life version of that. Like having yeah. followers but feeling no one's really connecting. Yeah. Like, why are these people following me? I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. And why are you following me? Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Kind of thing. Um, well, speaking of social media and likes, I did write something uh on my Facebook uh a few days ago that not many people liked or saw because I put a link in it and the algorithm was like, Nope, you're promoting, you should pay. But, um, I wrote this and I think it kind of sums up a lot of what we're talking <laughs> about in this. And Nate, if you didn't know, vocal few has a vinyl pressing Kickstarter for Snowdrift DP. I saw that. I saw that three hours to go. So this will probably come out and it'll be over. But, um, I was just, my heart was warmed by the response to this, you know, year old album. Uh, that was getting just pressed to vinyl and people cared enough to 
you know, yeah. I've got right now it's 140 backers, 140 people. I mean, it's awesome. So anyways, I was, uh, that's really awesome. I wrote this and I kind of want to read it and, um, whatever we can cut it if it sucks, but it was a, it was a social media post that didn't get a lot of attention. And I wanted to read it as sort of a thank you for people who support, uh, what, what you and I and people like me do. It goes like this. Minstrels, folk poets, writers of poor man's pop songs, whatever, whatever it is we can accurately be called, are validated on one level by fans, friends, and peers, i.e., your songs have changed my life. Your commitment inspires me. The snare sounds so good. While on another, usually in relation to financial security, whatever that is, we are often left wondering if resources will be there to continue down the path we've traversed. We face this insecurity all the time, knowing full well that every album, project, or tour might be our last. Every year I ask myself, what if this doesn't work? And the other voice inside my head, the competent realist, says, I'll get a real job and be done with it. But every year I try to make it work. I immerse myself in the process. I sit down and I write. I organize. I record. I engage with people who still care. I ask them to pre-order albums so I can make them. And every time they do it, you do it. In this way... I am lucky. I am lucky because I've watched so many people like me not be so lucky. Peers who have soldiered on with a purpose, planning and executing their gifts in the face of this insecurity, this not knowing. They've been forced to stop, which is to say they got a lot of, your songs changed my life, but not a lot of, I will pay you to make them. And uh, so one day down the path, these peers turned a corner and suddenly the resources weren't there. It hadn't worked they were forced to answer that familiar nagging question what if it doesn't work and knowing the answer we all know the answer they dutifully exited the path following an arterial back to the freeway and merging with the morning commute they now make other less risky sacrifices in exchange for security many of them are happier sometimes i'm jealous of them but sometimes i feel like the lucky one like now, when I watch a small project of ours, a crowdfund to press a year-old release to vinyl in time for the holidays, get 150% of the resources it needs with uh, three days left to go. This is uh, obviously three days ago. It's a small project and a small thing, but on the path where this type of validation is elusive and never guaranteed, it always feels huge. So I am saying thank you for the validation and for the gift it is to continue making things. I am grateful. So there we go. Thank you. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, podcast listeners. Thank you, Vocal Few fans, Classic Crime fans, Sherwood fans. Without you guys, we wouldn't be making music. We wouldn't be touring. We wouldn't be putting this stuff out and seeing this stuff happen. So we appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. If I stuck my neck I'd get you out of your show. My favorite second